I'm, I'm careful, especially in college sports, to never deify any coach, especially too much, because we can never really know them. Um, I pretty much only have like one coach that it would absolutely kill me if I ever heard anything bad about him, and that's David Cutcliffe. Um, but <laughs> even a, that, he's, I'm he's still... an easy man to love. I, I, I yeah. feel that way about about Coach Cannon Navy. Like, I, yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I love that guy. But even that, like, I think. Coach Cut, I'm sure, has some views on some things that are a little more on the old-fashioned side, um, and I get it. But it, you know, if I ever heard him actually doing something blatantly evil or bad, I would just be shattered because I'd be like, "All right, well, can't ever trust anybody." So. That's- <laughs> Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow, and this week I have with me someone who many of you may not know this, um, some of you do, but uh, someone who is kind of instrumental in me having this podcast in the first place, actually, Um, (laughs) Matt Brown, um, who currently does an excellent newsletter, the Extra Point Newsletter formerly of SB Nation. I realized the other day, and it's it sucks, but I realized the other day that like almost everybody that I love at SB Nation, um, almost every single person is now elsewhere. And that really sucks, but it is what it is. Um, Matt is one of those people though, and his newsletter is great and you should subscribe and he'll tell you all about how to do that. Um, but first, hi, Matt. Hey, Lauren. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm telling Caroline you said that, by the way. I'm sure she's going to be super, super offended. I said almost. <laughs> I said almost. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's. Uh, it's I, I, I know it's 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 been tough, um, but you know, fortunately, all, all those people are still making things, and we're we're, yeah. we're, we're figuring it out, and you know, we're not going to be strangers. We'll all be okay. No, and I'm I'm thrilled you agreed to do this. I intend I want to title this episode "Foya Man" because um, <laughs> that's kind of become your thing, and. Yeah. I love it. It's great. And you're finding out all kinds of juicy information by digging into emails and texts and phone records and all of that good stuff, right? Yeah. I, it, it's funny. I, I don't even think I really knew what the Freedom of Information Act was when I started at SB Nation, but it is such a valuable tool. I, I think our friends at NC State <laughs> would probably agree with this, right? It's a great way for, for, for getting information when you are not somebody that defaults into access, right? Like like when I was starting at SB Nation and it was a it was a different company back in 2014. And if I called up people in the Big Ten or in the ACC, they wouldn't talk to me because I was a blogger or because I was based in DC and I wasn't able to be in that room and, and build that kind of relationship that a regular beat writer might. But thanks to FOIA, you know, there's some documents and, and some contracts and, and some things we can pick up that the law states that anybody can inspect. And back then um, and, and even to some extent now, a lot of people weren't really taking advantage of that. So that was a tool that I had to learn a lot about to, to better understand how we could break stories and better understand how athletic departments work um, in a way that, that made sense given given our budget and our geographical limitations. And now that's that's become a, a, a focus of mine since I've been doing it for a while and I've gotten pretty good at it. And, you know, fortunately, we've been able to find some interesting things that way. Yeah, and there, a piece came out yesterday from the Intercollegiate, and I know you have some you have some relationship with them, right? Yeah, they're our sister publication. We're partners. Okay, well, this piece is real juicy, y'all. Like it is, 
it's uh it's it's quite the piece honestly um and it digs into a lot of um team rules i was fascinated by so many things in this piece there weren't a lot of acc schools um honestly that returned answers surprisingly clemson was one including clemson football um that did yeah. return their their rules manual um uh like nc state did but not for all of the schools obviously or not for all of the sports obviously and not for the major ones i did i did uh because it's of local interest to us here so i did enjoy the nc state baseball rules which i guess maybe this was all either all they got or all that the rules were it was just like one page and it was all pretty like yeah, that makes sense. Stuff. <laughs> okay, that seems fair. And I love that um, NC State's baseball coach is wonderful and he's been there for forever and he's a good yeah. friend to us media folks around here. And I love it. It was very Elliot event to like keep it simple and short and like, yeah, just like don't screw up and like don't make us look stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, like don't don't get arrested and, and go to class and that's it. And like, don't don't uh, com- like don't be bad to your teammates. That's like pretty much the gist. <laughs> Ultimately, I think that would be effective. Like you could probably have a pretty compelling list of team rules that would fit in a tweet, right? Like just don't be a jerk to your teammates. Don't embarrass the school. Show up to class. Don't get arrested. Like be a good human being and we'll hold yeah. each other accountable. Maybe that's longer in a tweet, but like you don't need like these this massive PDF. And I got to be honest, like when we, we dug into this and this was, this is definitely um, a, a story that was led by my colleague, um, Daniel Libet and Luke Cyphers helped edit the story. Um, so you know, they, they should get the, the, the credit here. But I really wasn't aware of how specific and controlling a lot of these team rules were. I mean, there, there are some stuff that's regulated in here that was just wild to me in the year of our Lord 2020, that, that, that this <laughs> is something that like a, a school would care about. One of the things that really surprised me, and, and maybe this doesn't surprise you, I'm, I'm a dumb man, but what, how much more restrictive especially about appearance and hygiene and outward things women's sports rules were compared to men's sports, even when those le- those teams were coached by women and, and, and run by women, um, you know, even a- a- adjusted for comparing women's basketball to men's basketball or softball to baseball, you know, across the board, they, they were generally much more restrictive and much and, 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 and included regulations about things that no man is ever asked for. And you're reading that. I, I, I'd be pretty upset about it. Yeah, I was I was and wasn't surprised. I, I have always been struck with I covered women's basketball more back in the day um, when I covered exclusively UNC sports. And I, I worked pretty closely with the women's basketball team. And I was always struck by how polished and put together that they looked, you know, even just going to games. Um, and and I was and that's probably part of it um, is that, yeah. you know, they were they're required to look a certain way. It's my guess. I mean, I don't know. That manual wasn't included. And obviously they have a new coach now, but um, it, it was and wasn't surprising. And, and it wasn't necessarily super delved into, but it was touched on, I think, in the article. There's there's definitely um still a lot of homophobia around women's sports as well. Um, and this notion of like, you know, you can't date your teammates. I thought that was really interesting too. And I, I do, I do understand that at a certain level, like it's certainly not the best idea, but you know, the heart wants what it wants kind of, and you can't, (laughs) you know, look look at the Chicago sky. I mean, clearly you you can have women in a relationship on a team and and, and be successful. And Um, I mean, there are, I mean, not, they're not employees obviously, but there are workplaces that have, 
rules against that kind of thing, especially like, but more with like boss and superior necessarily than coworkers, because there's an expectation that adults can sort of get past any mm-hmm. differences that they might have. And, but I, I mean, I, I, I get it, but also like the, yeah, there's, and I think the PDA thing, honestly, which was interesting to me, like no PDA, which I was like, what? That kind of struck me as also something that was tied to homophobia. I don't know yeah. that they would care as much if they were showing PDA with their boyfriend as they would with their girlfriends. <laughs> I, I I think you're right. You're right. It's it's wild to me that um like I I'm a Latter Day Saint. I grew up in a pretty conservative religious culture, and you know there were handbooks that you know advised behavior for for youth or be you know, advised behavior for you if you're representing like a, a church function or anything. But like. We didn't have anything about hickeys in there. We didn't have anything. Like some of the stuff was way more like drilled down and specific from even what I knew in a culture where there were all kinds of rules. Um, to, and like I might understand that in like 1970, like the idea of, of like somebody like saying love bites with a straight face, right? But this is like 2020 <laughs> and, and there it is. And, and then coaches would defend it. Like what, what's wild to me, some of these things that you and I and clearly other reporters will look at and say like, this is ridiculous. A lot of these schools weren't even trying to hide it. A lot of the times when we, when we look for records, um, the, the school has a, a litany of things that they can do to stall or evade or, or try to hide documents that they think, you know, with or in or out of context might make them look bad. But a lot of this stuff is like, nope, yeah, this is this is what's to be expected in a collegiate athletic environment for somebody who is unpaid, for somebody who is giving up a lot of, of their rights and flexibility. And... Um, I, I, th- I think some of these things are difficult to defend. Certainly not all of the rules are crazy or unrealistic or, um, you know, uh, outdated, but, but there's, there's a level of control here, particularly for women, not exclusively, but particularly for women that, that to me seems awfully unreasonable. Yeah, I, it, it was the thing I think that surprised me uh, the most, though, were, were the fines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Because actually, you know, it's interesting, uh, a former Clemson women's basketball player who works for the AC Network and has been on this podcast, Kelly Gramlich, um, she was saying that, I guess, from her own experience, not a lot of this was surprising to her. But I was like, well, what about the fines? And she was like, oh, yeah, that was one that was really surprising. Because like, what are you talking about? Fines? Like, (laughs) what? Like Like, Frank Beamer used to do this, right? Like this, this wasn't just exclusively a Chris Ash Rutgers production. Oh yeah, um, oh they, they stopped after people complained, um, and I think a couple of the other Olympic sports were doing this. I mean, like I, I think it's totally unjustifiable given that the athletes are one not paid and two prohibited from working, prohibited from from getting said payment. Um, to find them is is some kind of baloney. Yeah, and like. The softball program I saw that was finding people, the fines were, I mean, finding is never okay. So let's be clear. But at the same time, like it was pretty cheap stuff. It was, I think, more a symbolic gesture than anything else. And it was definitely something that you would think most of them could afford on some level. But the football fines were like a hundred and some bucks. Like that's not money that most college students can come by easily. No, no, no. Especially, especially in that program, right? Because your cost of attendance is high. You're, 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 you're in kind of an expensive area in New Jersey. Like, you know, you get a parking ticket that week and you miss a tutoring session. You're really wiped out. 
Um, yeah, and that's that's one thing I thought of to compare it to because I'm like, what do what do normal students get fined for? And I was like, okay, maybe they maybe they have a library book out, or maybe they get a parking ticket and stuff like that. But that's not really the same thing as no. as this. Like, and there are internal mechanisms in which you can punish a player or whatever, or, or give consequences to a player that don't involve money. Like the just the unmitigated gall of some of these people. No, and like, and, and, and softball players too. They're not. They're usually not even on a full scholarship most of them are on partials most most of them are even extremely good ones you know top 50 recruits are sometimes not on full scholarship so i think it's it's not an accident that the football coach that we know that did this was chris at, was ash at rutgers which was a uh, kind of notoriously not particularly successful and near the end not even especially disciplined program I think if you're a coach that's coming in and having to artificially impose that kind of discipline with some with a, a cudgel like this blunt, um, I think that speaks to a broader cultural problem. And if you have a coach that people respect and you have good, you know, leaders, you know, students within that team, that you're able to foster a system accountability, a system of accountability without throwing the book of Leviticus at people, right? Like you, that that's, I, I would I would look at the teams that don't have these enormous rule books or don't have to tell people, hey. Don't pee in the woods. Like th- th- those are the ones that I think are going to be successful rather than the ones that really do have to litigate every little thing. Yeah. And I, I know some people were pointing out to Clemson um, had one in there about uh, no, uh, what was it? Unreasonable or like weird haircuts. Un- I, I don't un- remember. Un- unruly hair. Yeah. Something. I, I think that's, what, you know, because I was going to say Trevor, Trevor Lawrence's hair was not, is not unruly. I don't think no, anyone would it, say it that. Is, it is immaculately prepared. It has a very healthy sheen. Um, and I hate I, him for that so much. <laughs> this is uh, my, my wife had, a, had a, a similar comment. I think when she saw him, is it possible? Does she know his hair no. care regimen? No. no. Oh, Do you? yeah. It's basically like Pantene shampoo and conditioner. And that's a, it's, it's good to be 20. Like, what is that? He's a witch. I don't. <sighs> It's infuriating, honestly. Some people, some people get all the genetic luck, right? He probably has like a three A GPA too. Seriously, and like and now he's like socially active and everything else. Like, yeah. come on, Trevor, just <laughs> be bad at something, please. <laughs> come on, yeah. Is, be be like more human. <laughs> we, like, we, we need one of his players to like his teammates to leak like yeah actually uh he sucks at animal crossing and he's terrible at tetris and right or like he can't French. play basketball maybe which would be yeah. fitting for clemson um, <laughs> <laughs> would probably endear him more to the clemson faithful <laughs> like, yeah oh my god i just yeah so he's he's basically a witch but i was like i was like to be fair here i understand what you're getting at but like i don't i, I guess i've never really thought about it i don't know that i've ever seen like i think we've seen Clemson players with various hairstyles. So I don't know that that's like, I think it has to be something really crazy, like a mohawk or something like that for him to. <laughs> yeah. Dyed green and, you know, not talk about it with any, with anybody. I have a sneaking suspicion, you know, just a sneaking suspicion that the rules might be a little bit different if you're a generational quarterback and team leader versus somebody Maybe. who does not have any social capital within the team because you're There's the sixth string lineman like that. Yeah. that and, and, and I'm not saying that even like, oh, my gosh, this is unfair, like criticize Dabo or something. It's it's that's just kind of how organizations work. Uh, right. Your office work. Right. Like <laughs> and to be fair, like this is something and granted, this was a long time ago. But I mean, even Dean Smith at North Carolina, who was very much 
socially active and aware and um, all of those things. Even he had rules about how his players appearance and how they, how they dressed more, how they dressed, I think than anything else, but like he had rules like that as well. And, and his rationale for that, I think was also part of what he stressed was like preparing them for life after basketball Um, was, you know, you have to present yourself in a certain way in society. And I, I, so I get it and it's not necessarily all, bad to have rules about appearance but sometimes they can go a little far as we've seen and sometimes they can very much seem to be racially motivated when we talk about things like head coverings and and do rags and things like that yeah i you know iowa is a good example of this and and honestly this this particular you know rule and concern is something i've been thinking a lot about because what you define as your level of acceptability or professionalism is culturally informed and when you have an institution that is extremely white and a leadership structure and a fan base that's extremely white like that that's going to inform those things i don't when i when i, when I look at these rules I, I think i'm with you here even strict rules are not necessarily bad and there's some context that we can't get from just a straight foia that comes from being in that locker room and, and understanding the, the power dynamics there but if you're a player and you look at these rules, are these because we need to establish some sense of draconian order to create a sense of discipline that wasn't there before? Are these rules that we had a say in helping create? And, and my understanding is some of these at Clemson are suggested by seniors and, and that they have a shape and, and, and what they're going to police with the rest of their the rest of their, their team. And that's that's not always uncommon. Or, or yeah. is it, you know, with, with Dean Smith, where it's, I think, out of love or, or out of a greater concern and people understand and, ha- and he has that credibility with them, then it, then it's a little bit different. I, I, I honestly do think that coaches and for that matter, conferences and other administrators can really have a role in teaching and, and shaping, you know, some of these athletes and, and doing things here beyond just winning. And maybe some of these, these, these constraints are part of that, but the constraints themselves can't promise a good outcome without the other things. That yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I, yeah, and I think like one thing that the recent social movement has been doing is sort of combining the love that these coaches, the ones that do have genuine love for their players, like it's combining that aspect of like, I really do love these people with like, okay, now listen to us about XYZ issue. And that love is translating into, okay, we are going to listen to you because this isn't our experience. And we're going to hear what you have to say and try to use our voice and let you use your voices to speak on this. And, you know, it's taken Davo some doing, but I think he started to come around on that front based on, you know, what we heard after everything that happened with him. Uh, You know, he's, he's gone on that arc a little bit. Mac Brown has been somebody that I've been pretty impressed by, at least what he said to us and what his players have been saying about trying to have player driven efforts at North Carolina and, and listening to them a lot. And he's like, we had, he said, we had, you know, some tough conversations about, you know, especially with the, you know, with what happened to Jacob Blake recently too. He said, we had a discussion even with the coaches and it got heated. Like there were, you know, people, it was an uncomfortable conversation was basically what he said. And I thought that was interesting that he revealed that just sort of saying like, none of this is easy. You know, none of, none of these issues are easy to work through. It's not like you just say, oh, I love my players. So I'm going to sit down and listen to them and, and hear them out. Like there are preconceived notions that we have about society that we all have to kind of fight through um, to hear what, what everybody's saying and, and what their concerns are. So I thought that was really interesting. And he's, he's, yeah. he's done a pretty good job of that seemingly. It, it, it seems I, th- I think you're right. And I think you mentioned something there that that's really important for conferences and for teams and for coaches as they try to figure out a way to to build 
diverse and healthy cultures and also a way to, to have some of those conversations here around civic engagement and about racial justice. And these are things that you want, not just because they help you recruit or help you, you know, keep players engaged. You know, ultimately, even though they're paid to, to win football games, and, and I think you and I are, are, are both clear-eyed enough to know that that's why coaches are, are brought in there. But part of the reason we still have this attached to, to colleges is because there's supposed to be an educational component to it. And you know, having some of those kind of conversations and, and, and broadening people's worldviews is part of the college athletic experience that I think schools want, right? And the way that all of this happens effectively is just like you said, it, it really has to be athlete driven. When I've talked to coaches in the Big Ten, when I talked to the Tom Homo, who's the athletic director at BYU, and I've talked to some other admins across the country, and they look at, they're, they're explaining their Black Lives Matter videos or their messaging or the kind of things they're doing here as a program. I think the most effective, the most powerful ones have all come from the athletes themselves. The athletes saying, this is the message we want to share. This is what we want our teammates and our coaches and our university presidents and our admins and our fans to all understand. And you're right. It can be a challenging conversation for, I mean, for most of the, the power five, most of these R1 research universities, they're really white schools, especially mm-hmm. in the North, which uh, I know is, is, not breaking news to your audience, it, it might be to some of, for some of my people, right? Like it's the Big Ten schools, it's schools in the Northeast that are the whitest, and kids that don't come in there necessarily, you know, with white hoods or anything, but simply haven't been around a lot of students of color and don't really understand what that experience is like, and that and that's true for coaches too. And you have to be able to have a, a level of trust and love and vulnerability to have that conversation with each other. Um, in order for any kind of progress to happen. Yeah. And I mean, we've been hard on Dabo in the past. I have, I've been hard on him on this podcast, but I, I have been, my heart has been somewhat warmed sort of watching him go on this journey a little bit of like, you know, really sitting down and listening to people and, and sort of learning. And, and I think, you know, I don't know where he's at on that journey, but I mean, I think like, that's a willingness to learn. And like, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to look like a statement released to the media um, that says like, Hey, all this stuff is bad and we don't like it. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's sometimes it, it, we saw maybe a little bit of the ugliness of it and the messiness of it. And I kind of actually appreciate that in hindsight, especially as it seems like he's gone on a good arc with it and talked to former and current players and, and heard them out. And he's got players on his own roster that are really speaking out and making their voices heard. And he's been, seemingly very supportive of that. So I think that's a really good thing. And and just, you know, just you got to take steps. That's all it's about. So yeah, that's, it, a, that's a good point. And I feel like it's important both for me and I, I think for fans too, as, as they try to, you know, figure out coaches sincerity about some of the stuff or where, where our program is. You really, I really don't think you can judge it from the PR statement or the tweet or, or the message, right? Like it, that's the easiest thing to do. The important thing is, is the trust within that locker room. And I'm not there. So I, I can't say what's in Dabo's heart or, or what his players think of him. I can look back and say he's players on that team feel comfortable enough taking leadership positions and, and, and talking and sharing their experiences. And with him, you're right. Cause everything's public with him. You get a chance to, to see how he's evolved. Um, I'm hesitant to overly credit or overly um, criticize what, what, what's happening in public because I, this kind of issue more than most things I think within college athletics um, is something that that we can't really get from Twitter, and, and we can't really get from press conferences. It's 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 what 
the players are saying. It's what it's, it's the whether people are comfortable coming into that program, whether they're comfortable staying in that program, and and how that program is changing. Um, it, we we never really know anybody, right? Like you, even you and I, if we get a chance to talk with somebody for a while and build a little bit of a relationship, we're still only seeing a small part of what's actually happening behind the scenes. But in terms of racial justice and social engagement and civic engagement, I, I suspect that's even that's that's even more more true. Yeah, and and I'm I'm careful, especially in college sports, to never deify any coach, especially too much, because we can never really know them. Um, I pretty much only have like one coach that it would absolutely kill me if I ever heard anything bad about him, and that's David Cutcliffe. Um, but <laughs> even a, that, he's, I'm he's still an easy man to love. I I, I yeah. feel that way about about Coach Cannon Navy. Like, I, yeah. oh I, yeah, I I love that guy. But even that, like, I think. Coach Cut, I'm sure, has some views on some things that are a little more on the old fashioned side. Um, and I get it. But, it, you know, if I ever heard him actually doing something blatantly evil or bad, I would just be shattered because I'd be like, all right, well, can't ever trust anybody. So that's, that's that. I'm done now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, and I, I do I do want to get back into some of the statements and things like that um, yeah. coming out of different leagues and stuff. But I for it's interesting to me when I read that intercollegiate piece, how many things that I feel like we take for granted as members of college sports media that, um, you know, you could see how you could look at them in hindsight and think like, Oh, okay. That seems bad, but we've just always done it that way. Like the SIDs for one, um, and the relationship you have to have with sports information directors, um, at schools. It's just something I'm used to. We've always all gone through them and, you know, we have to make sure that we stay on their good side to stay credentialed. And, you know, we've all gotten into, and it's interesting. I had a situation crop up recently and I won't name the school or anything like that, but we, we ran a story on our site about, it was a good story, but it was anonymously sourced with a player talking to somebody um, directly um, without going through an SID. Um, and there's a little bit of pushback there. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of pushback, but even then it was like, you know, in the future, go through us. But like, I mean, I guess we can't be too upset because like these anonymous sources stories are usually like bad, but in this case it was not, it was basically saying that the school was, was actually doing all the things they were saying they were doing, um, from a COVID perspective. And yeah. I just thought that was interesting, but e- even a story like that, there was still some like, Hey guys, you have to go through us and you can't just go to the player. Um, and it, it is an interesting dynamic that I think we've just sort of always accepted because it's the way it is. And that from like the fact that, you know, they're never going to say anything bad about their school because they're not allowed to and things like that. It, it's just something that, yeah, you look at in hindsight and you're like, yeah, that does seem bad. But at the same time, it's just always been the way it is. That's a great point. And that's, I think it's actually something we're going to work on a little bit more, either both on my newsletter or within the intercollegiate. Oh, I know Daniel has done some podcast interviews recently with lawyers who believe that some of those SID restrictions are unconstitutional or mm. illegal, you know, limiting well, especially the ones that extend to parents. Oh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> total baloney. Right. And, and my, I, I'm not just saying this out of self-interest. I, I honestly think that if, College athletes were were had the comfortable and the license to talk to the press more directly. That it would be a net positive for those schools. Like, yeah, are they going to say some stupid things? Sure, pro athletes say stupid things sometimes, and nineteen year olds are probably going to say even more stupid things. But um, you know, in my experience, 
generally, I feel better talking to athletes than I do administrators, like um, or or coaches or, or some of the, the the higher the higher level people. And as we get to know those those the players as human beings and their own stories and their own opinions, they're usually going to say things that ultimately are not detrimental to the school, um, but out of fear there there's still a little bit or maybe a lot of bit of this like 1950s era protectionism um around college athletes uh and and their ability to speak to the media is, is a great example of this how they dress where they have to sit in classrooms um what their social lives look like uh I, you're right those are some of those things i think are just like well bear bryant did it and he was successful um, and, and, uh, you know, Schellenberger did it and he was successful. Therefore, like we have to do it. And, and you don't, you don't always have to be the, take the most hard ass route possible to build a successful athletic program. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, like, like in the instance of the story I was talking about, like it's, it's something where if you have sources on a team and you have guys that you're talking to as a reporter and you can have that kind of relationship with them, it is something where like you can confirm when things are actually good. And there's a lot of skepticism, I think, surrounding college sports and we, you know, they can confirm when things are actually going the right way. Like, no, yeah, actually this is exactly what's happening. And then, you know, the other part of that is I think we as reporters get a lot of pushback because I think we know a lot of sort of the underbelly of college sports, but that underbelly is something that we can't necessarily report on because we have people that won't go on the record. I know I've heard so many things, even just from like assistant coaches or people in administrative roles with teams, um, that they're just sort of repeating either rumors that they've heard or like, Oh, I know this coach does this, you know, from another team. And yeah. it's like, you hear all that stuff so much, but people are like, well, why don't you guys report on this? It's like, well, we can't report that. Like <laughs> that's not, we can't do that. But that's, you know, those people kind of hold the key in terms of like, if, if the system were to ever get blown up, like those people have all kinds of information that they could pass along, but they're not going to do that for self-preservation reasons. And I get it, but that's a big part of the reason that you see college media members sort of acting the way that they do and saying some of the things that, they say because we we know what goes on behind the scenes more than yeah. most people but we just can't report on it and we can't throw it out there because we have nothing substantial journalistically to back it up with yeah yeah that's why we all get burner accounts and post on message boards right yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no 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 you're 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 right and I, i've been thinking about this a lot and and trying to in, interrogate my own thinking and my own tweeting and 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 I think it is very easy and rational even to look at college athletics right now and be very cynical, right? As with, it's, it's pretty clear that the reason teams are playing football right now is not based out of any kind of like altruistic um, concern. It's about money. No. A lot of these yeah. decisions have been about money. What we see with name, image, and likeness has been about money. And, and these rules, and you can look at this and think that I, – I understand how some would look at this and think that this is a completely immoral enterprise disengaged with it. I, I, just speaking for me personally, I intellectually know this is a stupid sport and has a lot of things wrong with it. And I still love it. And, 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 and some of those too. things, both because I, I can see some of the positives that come from, from, the, from athletes' lives, from athletes' communities, yes. and, and the absurdity. And it, it's fun. And I, for me, I don't think I could be effective in this role if I, if I didn't feel that way. At all. I, I, I'll be honest. Like, you know, I, I grew up in Columbus. I, I was raised an Ohio State fan. I went to Ohio State. Like, does my connection with that particular university as, as a fan, is it the same now as it was in 2014? No. 
but I still like the sport. And I, I think being able to have different relationships with the people who play the sport would help. <laughs> and I, I think what would help assuage some of the, the cynicism from people who've been doing this here for a while. And it can be hard. My big concern, and this is something I'm, I'm kind of hypersensitive to as I started Extra Points, because I want to write about these things. I think it's important to let people know about them. But if my readers think all I do is complain, then they're yeah. not going to listen to me anymore. And I think I can look at, at some smart, connected, credible voices in college athletics who have lost some of their currency, both within readers and maybe within the industry, because you can kind of predict what they're going to say about any given topic before they say it. Um, yep. And that's, uh, I, I think for me, you know, I, I understand different people feel differently for me. I think that limits our power and our ability to reach our audiences here as, as media members. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I understand that everybody's perception is colored by what we all know to be yeah. true, but at the same time, like, yeah, like you said, if it's all bad, it's not going to work. And yeah, I mean, I, I, my own perception, I went to North Carolina and actually what's interesting for me, not that I didn't have any problem with the academic stuff. Obviously I did, but at the same time I had way bigger problem with actually how the football scandal was handled before that. Um, because I felt as if those football players were made to be thrown under the bus and and give away their personal information and just sort of confess everything and whatever yeah. it is and and they were not protected and I have a I had that was the bigger part for me that I had the issue with was was that they they were not protected and they were just sort of thrown to the NCAA without regard for what that would mean for their future. Um, I still think all the time about Deontay Williams, who was a safety on that one of those Butch Davis teams a really good player, had an NFL future and was suspended for six games for sleeping on a former teammate's couch. And it wasn't fought properly by the university. And they just wanted to roll over and accept whatever the NCAA was going to do. And I, I've always had a problem with that. And he ended up breaking his leg in the bowl game and didn't play, you know, didn't have an NFL future after that. And I, he, I mean, he's one of many. I think Devin Ramsey has sued the university. Um, as well about how he was treated and I, and Robert Quinn was made to give up his cell phone. I remember that. I mean, yeah, I just, I, 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 that stuff was infuriating to me. Like I was like, no, you, you should protect these guys. They have rights. Like they, and they, they, I know Devin Ramsey was said that like he was, he was trying to get a lawyer and they were like, no, you can't do that. The compliance people will handle it. And th they basically just threw everybody under the bus. And I was not okay with that. And I'm still not okay with it. And honestly, that I have I'm uh, almost as big, if not a bigger issue with than because I think we all know some of the academic stuff, you know, that goes on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really, the only shock was that this one was so well organized. <laughs> which, which is, which is a, a definite rarity in athletics. Yeah. It, it, it goes back to something I've heard Spencer Hall say a couple of times. And I know other people here. At, at the end of the day, we need to love the athletes, not just on Saturday, like not not just during, on the on the Tuesday night ACC basketball game. But you have to care about them as human beings all the time. Care about them as black men or black women or or, or, or people of color or different backgrounds. And if we want to brandish the point that part of your compensation is an education. I think everybody should care that it's a good education and, and a, a meaningful one and, and, a, and a real one. And mm -hmm. I, I think if we if we look at this enterprise with honest hearts and are willing to critique it um, with the idea that we, we want it to reach more of those ideals and we want people to have better experiences and be better validated and, and respected as human beings, 
for me, and may, maybe this is hopeless mental gymnastics, right? There, there. I think that there are, are readers of mine who would who would say that it is. But like, my, my hope is that then you could still appreciate the fat guy touchdowns and the community that happens in Greenville and Durham and App and all these other places while recognizing that this needs to get better. Not and it will and not just for you know for them, but but ultimately for us. And that's you know that's that that's my, that's my hope. There there are. This has been a very frustrating past couple of months, especially I think as, as athletics has become even more hyper politicized, particularly with, you know, Trump over the last <sighs> couple of days. Um, I just, yeah, it, it, it can be super exhausting, but I, I can also look and, and honestly find some things to be optimistic about. Um, over the next couple of years, I think. And I think the, the college athletics that our kids are going to grow up watching are, is going to be one with more empowered and more secure athletes. Yeah, I, I hope for that very much every day. And, you know, I think it's interesting. And this is a caveat. I, I feel like it's worth throwing out because I think there's this obviously the, the notion that media members were rooting against a season is exceedingly dumb. But I think yeah. what people are misinterpreting is that is that there are some among us who understand that the system needs a, an overhaul. And something like this can help lead to that overhaul. And we don't want there to not be a season, but we also see this as an opportunity. I think some of us do to like, okay, we need to call the system into question and maybe there needs to be some reform and change. And that I think is where you're seeing something that could potentially be confused as rooting against a season. It's more like, no, we need to blow this up because this isn't cool. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest, right? Like I actually wrote a story like right before the Big Ten canceled their fall season saying, we all need to do this. And I say this not because I don't want there to be football. Like I've literally lost my job in health insurance because we're of of football being canceled. And I can look at this and I I think I understand this maybe better than than some other reporters, just that I I understand the financial hit that comes from this. And the people that are going to be losing their jobs in Raleigh and Greenville and, uh, you know, places like, like Campbell and, and, um, and, and NCA and T and some of these smaller places, it's not going to be the athletic director or the football coach that you overpaid. It's going to be the guy working in ticketing for $41,000 a year. Like I understand yeah. that there's, there's, there's significant harm here, but I look at it one because you're, you're right. Like this, this current system is unsustainable. It's unsustainable financially, academically. There has to be some significant changes. And also, I'm worried about the literal public health of these communities, you know, not just for athletes. Like I think it's credible to say that, yeah, if you're a football player, you're probably not going to die of COVID, but you look at some of these places where, where kids are coming to campus now, like look what happened in Chapel Hill. Once you brought kids back to campus, look what's happening in Ames. You have these massive outbreaks and then the kids come, the students go back home. They go back into elementary schools. Like I want college football to happen. I love getting on Twitter and making jokes with my friends on the internet. I am honestly, I'm sick of writing about coronavirus. I would love, I did not get into oh, God, extra yeah. points to write about COVID. I, there's so many other stories that I want to do that I can't because this is the big story here. But what I want more is to be able to send my kids back to school and to be able to to have something of a normal life again in Chicago. And I recognize that can't happen until the public health situation gets under control. And that's that's a lot of nuance, right? That didn't fit in the tweet. <laughs> it's way easier to paint me or, you know, in my, in my vantage point, to paint women reporters as insufficiently committed to love of the sport. Um, like I look at some of the stuff that I you know, like, like that Nicole Arabach gets or, or some other people that have been writing and reporting accurately about what's happening. 
is they yeah. just get beat up for culture war shit, culture war stuff. Excuse me, it's which fine. is 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 really frustrating to me. And that's but that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, and I mean, I think I, I guess we did finally find something dumber than the notion that you know, people, sports reporters don't want the season to happen. And I guess that's the notion that the entire Big Ten decided to forgo a whole lot of money um, because of not wanting the president to look good, I guess. I don't yeah. know, like to lose millions and millions of dollars um, just for that. That somehow is actually dumber to me. And I didn't think that was possible than the it's, notion. It's, that it's so was, stupid, yeah. yeah. Mitch Daniels is the former Republican governor of Indiana. He is absolutely not an East Coast lib. He's the president of Purdue. He voted to postpone, right? Like there, there are multiple university presidents in that footprint. And more importantly, the regents that, you know, control those universities who are politically appointed, they're red state dudes. Like it's, it, that's, that's, that's not what it was. It's, it, 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 what, I mean, what's, it yeah. it's extremely stupid, but I can tell you. Yeah. It's caught fire because there are assistant coaches that believe that. Like it, what? All, all of this is just a no, no. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Oh, there are there are, there are people on Iowa and Nebraska and Ohio State staff that believe when they say this is politically motivated, it's about Trump. And I think we here it sucks because I, I really do in my heart understand when a, when, a, when a fan says, "I just want a college football to be a distraction." From politics, right? I get it. Yeah, politics sucks. I, I, I really, I really do. But it's still part of society. If we yeah. have a society where a lot of people are getting their news sources from PatriotEagle.gun, and um, that's that's what you know makes their view of the world, and we look at the kind of people that are football coaches, yeah. you're going to see that in there too. And I, you know, oh. the, the 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 fact that we look at at COVID and football and all these culture war things from really two very different group of facts i think it would be unrealistic to expect that that doesn't also creep in with sports because those people are on facebook too yeah i just it's it's exhausting like you said and it's i can't oh i can't assistant coaches jeez louise oh my god yeah that's why that's why that's why trump was also on the horn with the pac-12 right oh wait you know (laughs) that did not happen no Uh, Why, why does donald trump hate the mountain west conference that's that's right. what I want to know, right? Well, I mean, like, if you can extrapolate it even to like, okay, it, maybe it's just Power Fives, but Pac twelve is also a Power Five, and there's at least one state in there that could probably go either way, like Two. Arizona and Colorado. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and okay, Lord Colorado. Knows, yeah. yeah, Utah fans are very adamant about reminding me that they're in a power conference. So the <laughs> the, the Pac twelve is definitely still one of those. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't, yeah. I mean, there's probably more swing states in the Big Ten, which is, I guess, what, yeah. why, I mean, that's the thing. It's way more easy to explain that as politically motivated than the other, but whatever. I just, I um, it's, it's, I, it's I, not why we got into this, but that's unfortunately I know. the world we live in right now. Um, I know the October start is not happening. I think we all understand that. Um, do you think, though, that there is any chance that they would potentially move up a start date um, into 2020, even if it's late 2020? I think I think it's possible, but it depends on things that are really outside of the control of football programs right now. I, I definitely think that there are there are people on the internet trying to will this into happening or tweet this into happening. But the the biggest concern, and honestly, it isn't testing. Which there, I think there is a reason to be optimistic that that situation could improve. Right. The, the big concern here is about community spread. 
If yeah. you're in Iowa right now, you might feel confident that you can contain your football team. But if the, the outbreak in that state or in Iowa City or in those communities is so massive, then you can't have those kind of gatherings happening right now. We, what we, Northwestern up here, we're close to where I live just kicked all the underclassmen off campus. And there's some real concern here in Cook County that the situation is not getting better. Um, Illinois has one of the most robust rapid testing programs of any university in the country right now. They devised their own system with their really great university hospital. And they are really concerned they're going to have to send everybody home too. And we also don't know how this is going to interact with regular flu season. We don't really know... Um, what the community spread is going to look like once we have people on campus a little bit longer. The first week didn't look very good. So if in, if in late September, if those positivity numbers are going down and we really, you know, these presidents can feel like, okay, we can weather the initial spike and, and maybe we can, we can, we can contract trace and quarantine better than we thought we could, which is what Notre Dame thinks could happen. Then, yeah. yeah then I do think it is possible. And that wouldn't make the, the Big Ten's decision bad or politically motivated or anything. It's, it's based on the data. I'm not optimistic right. about that. But, but that's what has to happen more than Trump or more than Scott Frost, you know, DMing to reporters in Nebraska about how they think football is coming, you know? Yeah. And I, I, we've talked to, I, I had Nicole Auerbach on a few weeks ago. We talked about Kevin Warren and I've, you know, beat that drum a bunch that he's, you know, sort of taking, taking all of the blame for this because people don't understand how it works, but it's, it's, it, I mean, there's been messaging issues and we know that, but I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, and actually I think this really does have an ACC tie into it too. Like I, I look at Warren as somebody who's very professionally accomplished and actually I think came in with some really pretty unique ideas for the conference. He really made, um, holistic civic engagement a priority. Um, he wanted to make hockey a bigger priority and in the Big Ten footprint. I think there's a lot of potential for that league to not only become the preeminent hockey conference for college, but to make that a real revenue driver like like it is with, with some other places. And that's it's been an underdeveloped asset. But he's new to college athletics. He's new yeah. to, to the Byzantine political, you know, uh, craziness that comes from for you know 13 state universities and northwestern and clearly that wasn't messaged well enough some of that is is on him and then he's had to take a lot of bullets and part of that's the job right um university presidents would rather their their conference commissioner be the one that's, uh, that 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 takes all those hits um but it's not super sustainable and when i look at here with the acc now that you need a new conference you look, you look at this and go okay there's been two power five coaches administrators, excuse me, commissioners that came from like outside the college athletics industrial complex. Kevin Warren came from out of the NFL and Larry Scott came out of tennis. And one of them is kind of generally as a consensus that he wasn't very good. And the war is now getting a lot of criticism. So if you're the ACC and you have a bevy of, I think, on paper, very qualified candidates who are in-house within the conference. There are athletic directors and presidents and people with ties to ESPN who want that job. You make the, do you make the, the easy bet, an easy call and bring in somebody maybe with a lower ceiling but a higher floor? Or do you bring in a, somebody from outside of that, that world? Um, yeah. If you're looking at what just happened with those last two leagues, I'm guessing you're going to have some people on that search committee who are going to say, let's make the simple choice, the safe yeah. choice. Yeah, I, I, and they've got two search committees, which is fun. I'll come back in the afterlife, or in my second life, I'll come back as a uh, search committee um, person, I guess. 
<laughs> search we're, committee we're in the wrong business. If we could just be Seriously. either like assistant strength coaches or work on for work for search firms, we'd make a heck of a lot more money than we're making right now. Yeah, that's the dream job. Um, before I got you out of here, I did want to get into um, the piece you wrote today, actually, that's up today about, and we touched on some of this too, about um, the messaging behind some of these social movements. And you did this uh, based around the America East conference, right? Yes. Yep. Um, what, a, a member of that league, I think, is very familiar to your audience. This is where UMBC plays. Ah, they, yes. uh, yeah. They 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 had a, played a basketball game of some import, I think, relatively recently. Carolina Sorry, Virginia fans. Yeah, I will have I'm to not. put it. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to put a trigger warning on this podcast for no, uh, no, not really. They, I no. think they're okay now that they've won a national title. I think they uh, and they 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 have a, some affection, especially for the UMBC Twitter account. So. It, it is it is an extremely good Twitter account. It, it, it should be celebrated. So yeah. what, what they're doing, I think, is interesting because they were kind of the first of the space and trying to think, okay, what is it that we can do as a conference um, to help with social awareness programming? And it started with a lot of LGBTQ issues, you know, and that was because athletes in that league said, hey, we want to know how do we can be better allies, how we can better support our teammates, better support our fellow students. Maybe you can help us with that. So they partner with the You Can Play, you know, you can play Project. They partner with some of these other advocacy groups to help empower um, LGBTQ athletes in, in, you know, in sports, and which is something that I, other professional leagues and I think other college conferences have now tried to do. And, and clearly, I think the conversation around those issues has changed enormously over the last seven years. And, you know, I think they, they should get a little bit of credit for being near the forefront there. And and now the league's talking about, okay, like, how do we do this now, given all the police brutality and, and issues and concern about racial justice? This is something our athletes are interested in now. How can we not only serve them, but how can we serve as an asset for our entire university group? And I think what's particularly fascinating about this league is that it has a lot of what we call PWIs, which stands for predominantly white institutions. And that um, I don't think it applies to all of the state schools within the ACC footprint, but in the Big Ten and in the New, New England and in the Great Plains states where you have really Caucasian states, it's pretty common for enrollment for your school to be 80% or more white. And that can be a challenge, not just for recruiting athletes. Like It might be hard to convince a basketball player from Philadelphia to come to Vermont or New Hampshire, where they might be the only black kid in their class. Um, but it's also a challenge for recruiting faculty and for retaining faculty and convincing good researchers and, 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 and people who look or act differently than the majority of the state population. And, and some of these schools struggle with this. Um, so I, I think really framing, okay, what can we do as a, as a athletic conference as, or as partners with the athletic department to help not just our students feel validated, but try to be a part of building a culture where our whole university feels validated and we can reach our goals. I think that's forward thinking. And I think in the ACC, where there's so much cultural capital and credibility attached, particularly to basketball coaches, but also just to some of these athletic departments generally, if they want to be, I think they can be a real force for good institutionally. Um, and I, I would hope that whoever comes in is ambitious enough to, to think about that role that way. Not just how we can great build and great football and basketball players, but how can we really push our universities forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really good point, and I just I just think it's interesting too that um, you know you're talking about the messaging too. We 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 address that and having it be something that's player driven, and I think that that's really important 
too, just because like, it's great that your PR staff crafted this statement about, um, we want to stop the violence or whatever kind of vague statements some of these schools are throwing out. Yeah. Um, but, we want to love everybody. Like, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Les Miles. Like, we, want e- what does that mean? We, we want equality. Like, great. Okay. What does that mean to you? And, and, you know, I think that is something that's important and just sort of putting actual meat behind what you're saying instead of just saying we want these things. And that's hard. I mean, look, it is hard. It, it's hard because it's not how society works right now. Um, it's yeah. not what society rewards and it's, com- it's their conversations. And I see it every single day that um, even from people that say that they want all of these things. And I believe that they do want them these things, you know, when they're called into question at all, or if they say something that um, somebody, a person of color takes issue with their immediate reaction is to be defensive. And um, I tweeted this yesterday because it struck no. me um, with what Bill Barr said about like, hey, I, black people can be treated differently in the criminal justice system, but I don't think that's racism. And it's like, that's actually literally mm-hmm. what it is. And, <laughs> and but I think some people are more worried about the word racist or racism than um actually kind of eliminating it and fixing what that means. And don't call me a racist. Well, okay. Uh, you know, you're, I think you're that's exactly stigma. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's something that I think we all need to fight against. And, and that's, that's, that's hard though. It's just hard for people to accept. Like, I think if you frame it more as like you did a racist thing or this statement had racist, it w- was racist. That doesn't mean you are, you know, a KKK member it just means, you know, you need to think about what you said and do better. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I seen this too. And pr- particularly at the, at the university level. Right. And, and that's one of the challenging things you know, the, when I was talking with the American East commissioner and she was saying, we had some, yeah, some really challenging phone calls within our coaching group. It's, and people were crying. Um, and, and it was, it, it was raw just because it's one thing to understand intellectually that maybe, uh, uh, our, our black, colleagues and our, our, our black fellow citizens and friends here are treated differently by the police. It's one thing to read about that in the newspaper. It's another thing to hear the women's basketball coach at UMass yes. Lowell say the same thing. And, and, and <laughs> okay, now this is, I cannot ignore this particular situation. Like it's very interpersonal. Like I, I have to acknowledge it. And I, I, I'm, I'm not perfect at this. I think I have learned and tried to and improved some over my career, but we all have blind spots. Um, and for a lot of these universities, which are predominantly white um, or predominantly a, a particular you know class or, or predominantly you know X, Y, or Z, institutionally there are, there are things that, that they need to get better on. And, and the first step is is not getting so dang defensive about it. And that's true for fans too. Um, and that's true for some places here in, in this footprint, right? There there are things just about being part of Wake Forest that are are, are going to be different kind of conversations, you know, culturally yeah. than Virginia Tech or Clemson. Um, you just have to hope that you're willing to be humble enough to try to try and get better about it and have leaders that are going to push for accountability. Yeah. And I've, I've been really, you know, Mac's been one of these coaches too. And I know Dabo's touched on it about how I think surprised they've been at some of the stories that they've heard. And I think like growing up white and, you know, with a certain degree of security, right. Yeah. It is something that you don't experience. And, you know, it's something that, when you get to know and trust and love people of a different race and background than you, then you start to hear all of these things and you're just like, Oh my God. And it's not, I think something that they, that people always want to talk about, you know? And, but now I think people are seeing how much more important it is um, 
to talk about these things. And uh, Lavelle Moten here locally has used his voice a lot and, and spoken about, yeah. And he's, it's not, that's the thing. Like, it, you know, people view it as whining or complaining or something stupid, but like what Lavelle is trying to do is just say, Hey, y'all like me. You say you like me a lot and you trust me and you, you know me, well, this happened to me. And like, you need to understand that this happens to people. Um, and I had no idea when he told that story about him and Raymond Felton, I had no idea that that had happened to them. Um, until he said it and it's not, it doesn't surprise me hugely, but it was still like, wow, you know, this is something where when they realized kind of who they were, it was like, oh yeah, you can go now. But I mean, if without that, you know, insulation, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And, and, and he's a great example. And I, I think it's just important for us as whether we're reporters as fans to also realize like, it's gotta be a huge emotional burden to feel like you constantly have to be the guy to, to remind everybody about that. You don't want to have to be the walking case study or the example every single time. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's incumbent upon other people, including people that look like us or have names like us to be the ones to, to also share that role. So we're not sharing the burden, right? Like I, I'm, I'm going to guess at some point in your career, you have probably, you know, you, you've been one of the only women in a press box or, or a newsroom. Oh, sure. Like, oh, okay, well, we got to talk to Lauren about the women's stuff. And like that oh, yeah. probably. Oh, that still happens regularly. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't now, feel part good. Of, part, part of it is because I'm passionate about it. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, I have not shied away from that. Um, I used to shy away from it earlier in my career because I didn't want to be that person. I just wanted to be like everybody else. And I, I talked about that some with Vashti last week about like being yeah. the, the burden of representation and like, <laughs> you know, having to, oh, well, here's, you know, for her, in her case, here's the, here's the black woman. Like, let me, let's talk to her about X, Y, and Z. And like, in my case, like, oh, domestic violence happened. Let's talk to Lauren about, you know, what's going on at Ohio State or wherever else. I only say Ohio State because that was by far the thing that my mentions filled up with the most toxicity mm-hmm. about when I talked about it. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you do want to just be treated like a normal reporter, but at the same time, it's like, oh, this woman's thing happened. Let's talk to Lauren. And it's like, you know, I'm trying to sort of train my colleagues to like, hey, you can still have me on and I'll still talk about it, but y'all need to be saying some of these things too, um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or else it doesn't matter. Yeah. You don't, you don't, and you don't want to be pigeonholed too, right? Like you have interests independent of, um, domestic violence and you, you have interests about, you know, X's and O's and, and other cultural issues and, and sports, right? Like, and I, I, I've heard this concern from people who have come up from the HBCU system of just like, I don't want to just be like your ambassador to the black community. I'm good on a chalkboard too, right? I, I'm good at calling plays. I want to be you know, respected as a peer in this coaching community. Yeah. Um, so I, I I think we can appreciate and be grateful for for people who have, 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 are passionate about these issues and are, are speaking up. But I don't. I, I I feel like it's important to reiterate that you know we don't want to it, it, this like trying trying to improve social awareness and civic engagement and and, and understanding and vocabulary of racial justice on on for athletic programs. It's not a black coach's responsibility. Nope. It's no. a coach's responsibility. And in our business, that mostly means white coaches and it's media and players and, and everybody. Yeah. And I, I've, I've been trying to take up more of that burden than I had before in recent months, especially because at least for racial issues, because I, I just think like it, we need to take some of that burden off of black people for constantly having to be the ones to explain everything. So, yeah, I mean, and, but yeah, I mean, this is where we are. It's super bad, but hopefully it gets better. <laughs> That's all you can really say. I, I, I know. I, I, 
I, I know it's it's probably not why you and I got into this. Like I'm I'm interested in so many other things besides just like let's go look through these records and find out who sucks. Like that's <laughs> that's I mean that's 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 part of what we do, but it's it's not all of what Extra Points does. I know it's not all of what you do. There's there's so many other things that are fascinating and exciting and heartwarming and, and chaotic and and you know in the ACC Coastal's case like exactly perfectly mediocre that we all want to to love and celebrate, but. We can't ignore these things right now because they make us uncomfortable or because we'd yeah. rather be talking about cookout menus and fat guy touchdowns. We we, yeah. we need to to love the athletes the whole week. And that means embracing all of this stuff too, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's well said. Uh, all right, Matt, I'm going to get you out of here. Um, but tell... <laughs> I, I love this stuff. I could talk about it forever. I'm sorry that this went a little bit long. No, it's... I, this. Yeah, I, that's been happening to me the last couple of weeks. Just, yeah, getting getting a little long when we talk about this stuff. But it's, a, it's important, so I, I get it. But tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Sure. So uh, Extra Points is a newsletter that covers the off-the-field forces that shape college athletics. So if you, if you listen to this far into this, into this podcast, I think you'd really like it. There's a lot of information here about name, image, and likeness legislation, about how higher education policy shapes who's good at sports, uh, how demographics shape who's good at sports, and, and the forces that are, you know, are, are moving all these sports along. Mostly football, but lots of other things too. You can find it at extrapoints.substack.com. You could subscribe for free and get two newsletters a week. Includes some original reporting, some analysis, some commentary. Uh, you can also get a paid subscription that gives you four newsletters a week and some bonus audio content. That's seven dollars a month or seventy dollars for the year. And I would love that because um, this is my job now. So this is <laughs> this is how I pay my bills um, and try to build an independent media company. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. Awesome. Yeah. And he's a must follow. So everybody do that. Uh, thank you so much, uh, FOIA man, Matt Brown. And I will talk to y'all next week.